everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Chris of The Decentralists, and another hot topic. Over the past few weeks, we've heard a heck of a lot about malware. What exactly is it? For example, just last week, Colonial Pipeline, the largest supplier of gasoline to the U.S. East Coast, was shut down after it suffered a ransomware attack. Colonial reportedly paid $5 million in Bitcoin to a Russian hacker group, DarkSide. What's going on with this malware? Hacking, phishing, ransomware, viruses. They're all different forms of malware, and they're all on the rise. Businesses, governments, even hospitals and schools are victims of ransomware attacks, and it seems it's just going to become more common. How can hackers turn our own data against us? What can we do about it? In order to fight malware, you have to understand what it is and what's at risk. This week on our Hot Topics episode, it's a hostage situation. I love that name. (laughs) Mike, it's very dramatic. It is very dramatic. You're on. I think it's important to actually kind of talk a little bit about malware. Yeah. Um, You know, these, the ransomware has, is, is kind of the latest flavor of the month when it comes to this category that they now call malware. Back in the early days, Henry, it was viruses. Remember? Why don't you start quickly uh, telling us about malware, just general overview, and then let's dig a little bit more deeply into uh, ransomware. Sure. Okay. So if you think about this category called malware, what it is, is basically the internet and viruses and hackers used to be way more simple back in the days. They'd call it a virus. You would, you would open your computer one day, you would get a message or somebody would send you a link. You would click on it and a dancing banana would take over your screen or something like this. And it was literally all it was in in the early days was like just a screen cover. Yeah, I remember. Remember? And you'd you'd come in and there'd be like like a happy face laughing or something like this. And you couldn't get to your computer. Okay. And that was, that was where it all started. That was a virus because it was, it was, there was some piece of code that somebody found that they call it a vulnerability, right? And so this virus would infect your system because your system was vulnerable and it would do this, this goofy thing, right? It would execute a screen, a screen cover that you couldn't get through. Yeah. Right. And then as you know, the, I would argue the computer systems got more secure, but and, and there were more people on the internet, right? Now what you start to have is there's more hackers and more incentive to hack because there's more people. And then as the security things, you know, get built and more, you know, everybody starts buying antivirus from Norton and Kaspersky and all of these guys. And, you know, then it turns into different types of not viruses, right? They do different things. Yeah. And all the while, Mike, there's been so much more data. That's the other point, right? That's that's what I was getting around to, Henry. You're very astute today. It is it is one of those things where if there was not like like basically malware, if you want to think about it, it's no longer about annoying the person who has the computer, okay, and making them inconveniently have to do some kind of a reinstall. What it's now about malware, okay, phishing. Is, is a term that, reply, that that basically is somebody sending an email phishing for credentials, 
right? And then you've got viruses, which infect systems and cause them to fail. And now you've got ransomware, which is a, a, a self-executing program that if they get in, the hackers get into your network, they send a file to the, to the deepest roots of the server and the database that runs your business. Yeah. And they encrypt it. Oh. Okay. And encryption basically means that you put a shell around this data and you make it unreadable to anybody who doesn't have the key, right? We talked about that yes. in one of our education yes. episodes. And, and so if you think about it, a lot of companies and people, humans, right? We talk about encrypting our data. That's what we do to secure it. Correct. Okay? That's if you have the key. So what ransomware is, is somebody else encrypting your data. And they hold the and key. And they have the key. And now, you, now what you've done is you've got this, wait a second, you open your computer up, you come into work, none of your systems work, and then there's a message that pops up on your administrator screen saying, I'm from Darkside, press this button, and here's my crypto wallet code. You need to transfer 40 Bitcoins and I will send you the key. Okay, now hold on right there, Mike. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you a question that I have been wondering in the last few days after reading everything that's been in the uh, media. Mm -hmm. Am I right in thinking that when this code executes and mm -hmm. it encrypts all their data, a reasonable organization mm -hmm. would have indeed a not too old backup elsewhere that is not attacked. Is that correct? Yes, that is that is generally correct. Okay, that would be that would be your standard operating procedure. Uh, but sometimes, in some of these instances, even the backups are corrupted. Is that right? Yeah. And also remember, okay, so you know what this thing has done is by if if a if ransomware comes into your servers and encrypts your entire system, okay? Then basic, and they have the key. When you're somebody like these colonial pipeline guys, right? Or a retail business, right? Or an education institution, whoever it is. It's not so much the fact that you can restore from a backup. You probably could. But it would mean that you would have to wipe everything that you have first. Yep. Okay. Then reload everything that you have. Could take weeks. Take weeks. And, it, and, and like literally there were people within an half an hour of that colonial thing being announced, there were people like shooting each other in lineups at gas stations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they were literally couldn't, couldn't get gas fast enough because it was, you know, the hoarding thing. It was like people, had, you know, with toilet paper at the beginning of the COVID stuff. Oh. Right. And so, and so the, like, this is, this is the, you know, this is kind of the, the plus and then minus, right. Of things like encryption. Most people think really, really good things about encryption. When most people hear encrypted, oh, it's an encrypted service. It's an encrypted end to end messenger. It's an encrypted, you know, database and it's your data and it's encrypted. You think that's great. But if you don't have the key, that encryption works against you. Yeah. I've talked to people who basically have had ransomware attacks and literally in 90, 90, 99% of the times, you pay. Is that right? Is that high? You pay. There's actually companies that specialize in, um, you know, you call them. It's like 24-hour service. And they, they will show up and they will negotiate on your behalf with these dark side guys or whoever the ransomware provider is. 
Wow. It, it is. It is actually no. It's actually a business, Henry. Like I, they, the, I know somebody that got hacked. Get this: they got ransomware attacked. They were a business. They brought in these consultants. The consultants talked to the hackers. The hackers said, "You need to send us your financial statements for last year." Oh, as a business, you need to send us your financial statements, and we're take because we want one percent, and so we want to see how much money you made last year. And then we're going to come back to you with your number you have to pay. And then basically these guys negotiate back and forth over to what kind of financial information they had to provide or what number they agreed on. And they paid. Oh my. So that's what makes ransomware so scary. It literally is a hostage situation. It, it literally is, Henry. Imagine just simply on a personal scale, if you if you opened up your computer with all of your photos from your family and everything, all of that stuff from from the from years and years past. Oh yeah. All stored conveniently on that big computer and 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 backup drive you have. And then you come in one day and it's all locked. I've thought about it. And somebody tells you, "Hey Henry, it's time to it's time to buck up a bitcoin and by the way a bitcoin right now is $40,000." Well, okay, so how do you protect against something like ransomware? Well, Chris, what would you do? I honestly have no clue. <laughs> There's nothing you could do when you're ransomed. I mean, if 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 they've got root, frankly, they're my daddy. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're 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 gonna time to go to Coinbase and get yourself a wallet. It's kind of like if someone kidnaps a member of your family. What choice do you have? Well, that's this is the thing, right? So the so the idea is 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 I would argue that you know the choice you have is to try to minimize, right, your footprint. What do you mean? Well, I know from another friend of mine who got ransomware attacked that what happens is, what is, is there are, in any day in a business, and the bigger the business, the more this happens. Yeah. People come in, they get, there's new employees, there's people that leave, there's people that are promoted to different levels of access. There are consultants that come on and need to be able to access the corporate systems, right, for a certain amount of time or whatever, okay? Mm-hmm. And so every time that happens, the company creates another username and password. Okay. And they assign a level of access to that username and password and they give it to a user. Right. So if I'm somebody who's come in, comes into a company and I'm hired as a consultant to work in the IT department to help them do some project, and then I leave the company when my project is over, it's up to the company to take that set of credentials, that username and password that are assigned to me and disable them. Correct. Okay. So this instance I'm talking about, a consultant left the company two years earlier got uh, somebody sent a phishing attack pretending to be the company and somehow managed to convince this person to cough up those credentials that they had two years ago. Are you talking about, um, despite the fact that this consultant was no longer... Was gone. And so this was a case where there was a, there was a, somebody forgot to make a check on a box that said, disable this consultant's credentials, and they were live for two years. Okay. So this phishing attack goes out, they get this set of credentials, and then they use the credentials, okay? So if there was no username and password, Uh. like probably a, a large number of these ransomware attacks, and definitely the majority, if not all of the phishing attacks, 
would not be successful because there would be no credentials to use or exploit. Okay, and hold on. Could you uh, just explain phishing again? I think most people know it, but maybe some don't. They call it phishing because what, what people do is they will send, an, they'll use an automated email program to literally send a spoof email that says, this is DHL, you're, you have a packing thing, blah, 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 log in here. Yeah. to your DHL account yeah. and accept the package. And it's, so it looks completely legitimate. It looks exactly legitimate. And the point is, if you're an employee at a company and you're kind of new and you get something that looks like a legitimate uh, company email, it's natural to click on it. Well, this is, this is what happened six, eight months ago, maybe, I don't even COVID, a year ago um, with Twitter, where basically some hackers, and it wasn't even a hacker, it was apparently some t- like 14-year-old kid hacker <laughs> in Florida sent about 100 emails to 100 Twitter addresses that were of people who worked at Twitter. And he pretended to be from Twitter's IT department, saying that he needed their credentials in order to go into their account and adjust the security settings, that it was a new corporate policy. You're kidding. And he literally he literally got control. And I think he even didn't, Chris didn't even go in. Isn't that the one where he went in and, and they basically used this to go in and, and turn off all of these blue check accounts like like Obama and, and all these guys? He did something worse, Mike. He took control of these blue check accounts and he, he promised a whole bunch of people that he would um, be sending them Bitcoin. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. He pretended to be Elon Musk. He took over Elon Musk's account or something. Yeah, he, he did. And Barack Obama's and a whole yeah. bunch of other uh, A-list celebrities. Oh, And he yeah. was just fooling around as a 14-year-old kid. I don't know about that. I think I think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> I think I think he wanted to get rich quick. And, and to be real, <laughs> he got himself uh, half a million dollars worth of Bitcoin within 24 hours. No. Jeez. Well, and, and and I mean, that's crazy, hey? And if you can sell it, you could make money. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's another part of it, right? Like, that's another thing that, that that a lot of times gets missed in these in the articles about this dark side hack on the colonial pipeline, right? Dark side is an organization that if you, that they're because they're on the dark web, right? Which, you know, is basically just a web that doesn't have any security on it. But they run their, it's like a business. Like you go there and there's a, there's like a PayPal link almost and you know, all of this stuff. But one of the other things that Darkseid does, not only do they hack people and install ransomware and take them hostage, right? They sell the tools so that other people, like a 14 or 18 year old kid in Florida can go and hack and pretend to be. Elon Musk and make himself half a million uh, Bitcoin. Okay, okay. So, Mike, get back to the uh, question I, I asked you. How do you uh-huh. protect against this? You get rid of the username and password. Realistically, at the end of the day, if you, you know, almost all of the issues that affect most of us on a daily basis, from viruses to phishing attacks, spam um, you know, like all these emails you get that are garbage, right? Um, you know, things like ransomware, all of this are all based on this foundation that has, that has been kind of poured over the top of the bedrock of the internet, which is user identity and access. So all of these websites that have based their business model on collecting data on their customers or, you know, their users or their community, 
have have a layer on top that is these credentials, username and password. That is the thing that gets you in the door. And it's it's literally, Henry, it's actually in the name. Okay. You know, you've heard this adage. There's only two industries that refer to their customers as users. One of them is big tech or tech companies, and the others is drug dealers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and I was thinking about that the other day, and it, and it's actually even simpler. It's called a username. Right? Yeah. So if you have ever gone to a website, and if you're like me, you've probably, or to an app where you've entered what's a username and a password, okay, you have created a credential that's identifiable to you and a credential that can be used to get into the system that's behind that. Right. Right. You are not an owner. You're a user. Okay. And so even your data is not yours. And so in a corporate environment, that username leads to a corporate email account, leads to a corporate admin account on the Active Directory server or in the IT department, or it leads to the finance department. And once you're in, you can get around most corporate environments. And so if there was no username and password, and you could say, instead of, instead of say, signing up for a, a loyalty program with a username and password and creating another vector that can be attacked... What if you could just scan a QR code? Well, hold on. Usernames and passwords are about as fundamental as gravity on the internet. How, how, are you serious? How can you be reasonable to say, everybody get rid of them? Well, well, because because let's think of what a username and a password really is, right? This is the cause of malware and ransomware. I'm, I, I'm trying to, like, this is, this is something that's very important. Basically, when a company like... Amazon. What do they really want? Hell, let's go. Let's go. Google. It's real obvious. What does Google want? They want the data of what's being searched when people type things into that browser window. So they can sell advertising. So they can sell advertising, and that's called metadata. Okay, but and and so my website went here, typed in shoes. Okay, but when you add a username and password and an account on top of that, okay, now what you've created is is a is a vector to access the service that is now linked to me. Right. So in a corporate environment, basically, if what I what, what does a company need you to be able to do, Henry? They need you to be able to send an email from the corporate email account and receive emails from a corporate email account. They need you to be able to access the corporate CRM and all of these things. And each of these services requires a username and password. So the company has no choice. Mm-hmm. But if what you could do is you could say, it's not a, a true username and password. It's a digital certificate. Okay? It's a little it's a little like a, a tag that says Henry is allowed to access this data, but it doesn't actually say Henry. It's just a link to you. Oh, it's like a digital watermark. It's like a digital watermark that allows you to access. And so inside now what happens is in a corporate environment, there is no plain text username and password that you have to remember anymore because you just scan a QR code with your phone and you access the service. And you've never created that account in the first place. And it's never been replicated to access all these services. That means you're more sec- inherently more secure from somebody stealing a username and password because they no longer exist. If you could get rid of, if you didn't have a username and password to anything you owned, Henry, none of the stuff that you owned, none of the accounts that you access could be accessed by one of these hackers by stealing your credentials. So the QR code, Mike, it seems like it's, 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 it has some potential. It's kind of a, like, what's a QR code? You look at it, you don't know what, it doesn't tell you anything. 
It looks like a barcode on a, on a product. It's exactly like it. It doesn't. It doesn't tell you anything. But to somebody who scans it, it tells them something. Okay, and so you know, if if what you basically said was you scan this QR code and in on your device there was some link that said it was Henry and they allowed you in, right? Then that little that that transaction that allowed you to kind of connect with the email program is 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 essentially in effect the credential that links you, Henry, to that metadata. Yep. The access to the email or the access to the database. It doesn't need to be hcarpus at xyz.com with a password. Right. It could be a, a link, a, a direct link from you to them. That's what we're working on. Yeah. That's kind of how, you know, that's kind of how we want to connect people or we are connecting people in many one. Don't, don't use a phone number to identify somebody. Why do you need to, right? If you're, if it's your, if it's you and it's your container and you want to have a, instead of calling yourself Henry Carpus, you want to have a big, long encrypted number string as your name and address. That's fine. And you just take that and make it a QR code that somebody can scan. You don't need to have a username and password. Well, that's the basis of, of many one. This is the basis of what we want to do. And it's how you make connections more secure. But it also has ramifications in, in how we protect our data and access our data in other services. And maybe we could, we could you know, instead of, instead of industry and business working to, you know, focusing so much on trying to get us to you know, to give them more data so that they can make more money off of it. Maybe there's a way to reach an equilibrium where we control, you know, they can have the metadata. Like if I type something into a Google search bar, I'm using their service. Let them have that data, but don't let them have my personal address. Yeah. Don't let them connect it to you. Exactly. Right. Let them do their business. Like they can still make money. They can still do their things. They can still sell advertising. They just don't need to have that link. And I think what you're going to see and what you're seeing, you know, right now with things like ransomware is even big companies who've spent lots of money on internet security and all of these things are still being defeated by something as germane as a username and password. Yeah, it's incredible. Right? And so you're going to start, people are starting to realize like, maybe it's just better if I just was the one that had control over every way I connected, whether I was connecting with you, Henry or Chris, whether I was connecting with my, my, my employer or my, you know, the store that I buy my groceries from or with my government. Yeah. Maybe I should be the one that just, if it wasn't it easier, if I'm the one that owns, you know, me, and then I just say, Hey, I'm me. And you go, yes, Henry, you're welcome. You come to work and I go, okay, great. And I scan. And then there's a connection that's, that's, that's secure and powerful and it doesn't require me to remember another password or do anything else. And now business gets, gets to kind of say, Oh, great. I can still work with all of my metadata, but I don't need to have all that user data that costs me so much money to protect in the first place, but still leaves me vulnerable to a hostage situation like a ransomware attack. Right. So that's true. Self-sovereign identity. Absolutely. That's the future. And that's how we're, you know, we're trying to fix it for people and for business. And I think, you know, the ramifications or implications to malware could be extreme if we just decided to kind of meet in the middle. Michael, thank you very much. Chris, thank you very much. Now we know a heck of a lot more about malware and it's very scary cousin ransomware, but the way to mitigate is let's move away from usernames and passwords. I like the direction of many one. Thank you, man. Thank you very much, Henry. Thank you.